Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We preview the ABB Formula E Championship season with Alexander Sims and Jack Nichols. The 2018-19 ABB FIA Formula E Championship kicks off on the streets of Saudi Arabia capital Riyadh this weekend. It's a hugely significant season for the all-electric series, with a new Gen 2 car making its debut, more manufacturers, new races, modified rules, and a usual influx of fresh driving talent. Lots to get our teeth into in this season preview. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me first is the type of guest that I always consider dangerous, a professional broadcaster, and therefore very likely to show up presenting skills, or lack thereof, on my behalf. So, Jack Nichols, Formula E and Formula One commentator, are you going to try and make me look good? Uh, yes, I'll show up your presenting skills, you'll show up my just lack of knowledge in general, and my sort of journalistic credibility. That's the way it works. Sort of achieve a nice balance. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Well, my second guest is one of the new drivers to Formula E this season, Alexander Sims, who will be driving for the Andretti Motorsport-run BMW team this season. But you were actually among one of the earlier drivers to, to drive a Formula E car, even though it's taken you a long time to get into it. I remember being up at Donington when you tested the original car for an Autosport track test. Yeah, yeah, I've been uh, obviously interested in Formula E since its, um, its first days. Um, 
back in season one so it's been a bit of a long road in terms of me being involved in Formula E uh, to, to get into a race drive but pretty thrilled to be in this position now going into the first first race in Riyadh. And fair to say you're something of an electric cars evangelist. Uh, yeah you could put it like that yes I've, been, I've driven an electric car for six years now myself um, on the roads day in day out and seen a huge progression in the uh, infrastructure and electric cars in the market so it's pretty cool to now be racing it and uh, pair those two passions up. So a quick driver and very on-brand as well, so a good combination. My final guest is Autosports Formula E correspondent Alex Kalanorkas. Now you must be barely able to contain your excitement heading into your first full season in Formula E after your park campaign last year, an impressive start. So are you excited? I would go as far as saying I'm green with excitement, although as I wrote down in my notes because I prepared this gag earlier, that might be because I'm still recovering from the Autosports Awards at the weekend. Well, there we go. That's that. You're going to put a laughter track on that as well, uh, maybe. So, I mean, there were there were worse jokes made at the awards than that. <laughs> so, that, that, that's a low yeah. bar. That's a low bar. <laughs> well, let's get on with it then. We've got a new car this year. Uh, Alexander Sims, the Gen 2 Formula E car, officially called the Spark SRT 05E. It's faster, more powerful, greater range. You've tested the car extensively. So, how big a step forward is it for Formula E? I'd say it's a pretty huge step, to be honest, particularly from the driver's point of view. Um, a lot more gizmos and gadgets to be able to to make it take advantage of um in the development process that we've had um building up to season five you know we've been working with the engineers to try and extract performance from every area um but it really feels like a yeah a marked improvement the tires are slightly more stable um a little bit easier so far it seems to to understand them um the brake by wire system i'd say is a pretty fundamental change um from a driver's point of view and the, from the engineering side to be able to actually manage the the regen uh, ramping up as the state of charge reduces from from full battery um now you have a, a system doing the maths and working it out rather than you just sort of putting your finger in the air and changing your brake bias after every few corners and, and guessing it um obviously it's still you know massively difficult and only gonna be exaggerated on the, on the tight twisty street circuits that i'm yet to experience but um so far, I would say I'm reasonably pleased to be going into this season as my rookie year rather than in the Gen 1 car. It's interesting you mentioned the tyres being stable there because I was when all the launch season was happening back in September, various people were saying, actually, for the first time the tyres are going to degrade in Formula E. Is that, yes. would, that be, would that be correct? And is that something you've got to factor into your driving style and race yeah, tactics? Yeah, no, I, th- I think degradation is certainly... I mean, I, we have to you know bear in mind this is my first season. I've only had bit parts in testing, so I'm a little bit... Um, out of the loop but from what i understand there will be degradation but um so far anyway for us it's been a little bit more of a predictable tire um for us to get get our heads around um and with the previous tire having a higher tread depth and um the surface of the tire moving around a bit more um it was slightly difficult to understand the the specific temperature window that the tire was working in and for us to to get our heads around that so i think um yeah, we're expecting it to be a little bit more easier to to understand because they're still they're still all weather tires. So potentially, if that tread is disappearing a little bit, we know it never rains in Formula E. Yeah. Jack, we've not <laughs> had a wet Valencia. race yet. Did it, you Valencia. did it, Valencia? How yeah. was it driving in the wet in that? Um, I was there. It was absolutely soaking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it certainly highlighted the with the reduced tread depth that we're gonna probably have a a, a pretty narrow window in in wet races if that happens uh, for it to be safe to drive. When it was raining reasonably heavily in Valencia, you, you got a lot of aquaplaning 
quite quickly. As soon as the rain stopped, it was fine. But um, with a decent amount of rain on track, it was it was pretty dodgy. So um, certainly a factor to, to bear in mind. And I think you know if if rain is potentially coming during the weekend, it'll certainly be something that we think about of definitely keeping one set of tyres in good condition to to give ourselves the best chance in the race. And Jack, it's certainly a, a striking car and a, and a quicker car. So from a racing perspective, is it going to be quite exciting to see that on track and a, and a step forward? Yeah, I think it's going to be cool. It, do, it does look really cool. Uh, that is that is true. For me, it's a. I think it's a bit of a shame that you have brake by wire in particular because... For me, that was sort of the fun and the and the, the the difficulty and the challenge. And I know it's going to still be very difficult. Don't get me wrong, but the brakes in the first four seasons of Formula E were something that, especially on a street circuit, would really really punish you. And that's my favourite thing about Formula E is mistakes get punished, and they still will. But I enjoyed that um, uh, the sort of temperamental nature of the brakes. I'm sure Alex didn't, and he and he and he's delighted that that it's going to be a little bit more but the constantly changing your 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 brake bias as the race goes on and your battery reduces and then you've got to put it back up in the second car and all of that i i, I don't know i enjoyed that element but it's still going to be difficult for you i'm sure yeah absolutely i think um from the outside it's um a good thing to have those systems that the gen one car had that were particularly difficult to get on top of from a driving point of view but um uh, from what I experienced in testing anyway with the Gen 1 car, it sometimes was just a bit of guesswork. And, um, it was brilliant. When you're behind the wheel <laughs> trying to put in your sort of um, consummate performances of, of showing what you can do and what the team's done, it was a bit of a lottery sometimes of, of whether you were going to hit the temperature limit earlier than others or or whatever so um of the battery that is um whereas yeah with this car temperature is not really going to be an issue you can use regen and it's a yeah slightly more refined situation how much quicker is it than the the previous generation car well on in quality mode particularly it's it's now a handful um i think back when when 200 kilowatt was your your quality mode it um still was a little bit uh, Drivers slow, would say slow, that, at, that at 200, it would kind of start to feel a bit more like a race car. But now at yeah. 250, it seems to be another quite a big step. Absolutely, I think with, with when you go from 200 in your race mode now to 250, it's like a pretty marked change in in power level, and you've got to adapt to something quite big, quite a big change, um, which is it's pretty interesting and quite exciting particularly in, in testing, you know, you still don't have a massive amount of 250 runs to, to get on top of uh, the, the differences in how it works, the tyres, how, how you need to adjust your driving. So um, it's one of the, the, I'd say, the fundamental points of excitement from, from the driver's point of view going into qualifying, knowing that you've had very little preparation, really, in practice to get your head around it. And dynamically, is it fairly similar? I'm thinking particularly in terms of the fact the weight distribution was obviously fairly rearward owing to the the battery and the tax it's still similar in that regard yeah i think i think the the fundamentals of the car still feel pretty similar in terms of of the way the car works through a corner it just feels that little bit tighter and and yeah a more refined chassis and and drivetrain um and the electronics as i say you know they're just that bit more predictable now whether the <laughs> fans and people from the outside appreciate that um we'll, we'll yet see I, th- I think it's still going to provide pretty exciting racing um the strategy that you're going to have to implement 
in terms of energy savings still going to allow for a lot of a lot of overtaking and risks to be taken well i'm going to do what uh, i quite like to do or attempt to do which is to wind up purists um the sound in formula e is a is a big talking point it's one of its main detractors apparently on twitter um all the cars sound pretty pretty different this year sound pretty good i think from watching trackside at valencia you can set different not engine notes obviously power mode power unit notes but uh yeah certainly they look good they sound good it's a good sale you got there well of course one of the things that people will complain about is the arrival of the halo which is now on ah. its way to become ubiquitous in single seater racing formula one formula two three next year will will have it i mean it's one of those things that is a fact of life but this one has to be those criticism this one has lights it lights up Ooh. Yeah. when uh when the attack mode which we'll get onto shortly i think um when that is activated it will it won't flash blue it will just be on as blue uh and then when fan boost is activated it will be magenta or purple do everyone else i think the halo in formula e is the best dive i'm not you know don't love it but in formula e it's all right because they've kind of designed the whole car around it so it just is what it is as opposed to being a traditional formula one single seater and then you just plonk it on top so i think from in in all of the cars i i almost don't even notice the halo in a in a formula e car and i think formula e is in a unique position you say about angering the purists it's not it's just this formula is just this weird thing where it's not meant to be pure in terms of it's not the cars are never going to be noisy and because they, they, they are ne- literally yeah. electric racing cars and they've never said that they want to be formula one they've, exactly they've, they've gone deliberately saying but perhaps, not better, but perhaps the irony, better term actually but, is not traditional rather than not pure Maybe true but the it, irony was that it for me it certainly last the first four seasons it was the purest form of motorsport around if you sort of put aside fan boost just a little bit i know it's ignoring the facts for the sake of that but if, aside from fan boost there was nothing kind of gimmicky or there was no balance of performance there were no silly tires there was no it was the the most traditional pure form of motorsport there was in terms of actually arriving and getting the job done so it was a it was an odd mixture to my mind anyway how about from a driver's perspective do you mind about about the halo i mean some drivers don't like it some drivers do but i suspect everyone likes it when it's called into action as we've seen a few times in formula one and formula two this year yeah, I, I, I mean, when you're in the car, I, I see it as a complete non-issue. At no point at Valencia or in any of the pre-season testing that we've done have I driven out the garage and th- thought that the halo is obstructing my view or in any way a pain. So um, from that side of things, I think it's a, it's it's fine. Um, from a safety point of view, I only really see it as a as a benefit. Um, I was friends and teammates with Henry Surtees um, and we've seen m- many other crashes many other incidents over the the years where the halo could well have had a, a more positive outcome um, and so no I'm, I'm, I'm massively in favor of it really to be honest it's the nature of it isn't it safety equipment always seems boring until it's used and then at that point yeah, it's, I mean, it's essential when I put myself in in the car in the position of a bit of debris or something flying up and the halo hitting it rather than my helmet, um, I would be massively thankful that it's there. So, um, yeah, I can only support it. Yeah, it's not a difficult equation when it comes to that. Well, Alex, we talked uh, a little bit about the the 
new cars and new technology. Obviously, one of the great appeals of Formula E is, is the technology involved. It's also difficult because a lot of it's sort of black box technology and that you can't really show it to people. But how much has it changed and how ferocious do you expect the development war to be, especially now we've got this influx of manufacturers over the past few years and the stakes rising all the time? So, yeah, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's everything sort of behind the driver is open to development for the teams and the manufacturers. That pretty much right. Yeah, so, apart from the battery, exactly. Yeah. 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 So the the batteries now uh, technically is unbranded, but we all know it comes from McLaren, as opposed to before when it was Williams Advanced Engineering. Um, it's uh, so yeah. So the, the teams are like it's the rest of the power unit they're doing. So the inverter, you know, um, the the motor generator, etc., stuff like that. Um, it is. I think it's going to be very competitive between the guys. You've got BMW now. You guys, you've got Audi, who were considered the benchmark last year. Um, We've got, um, I was looking at my list here from testing, you know, Neo, Venturi, they all seem to have made a step forward in terms of pace and stuff like that. Uh, and we've got Mercedes and Porsche coming next year. So it's only going to go get better and better. Hopefully, we hope anyway. And what sort of form does the, the development take? And obviously, Alexander, you've got all sorts of engine management things and there's a lot of um, engine mapping stuff that can do something. But how much work is being done? How much experimentation is there with the way the hardware is being run, the software side, basically? Um, quite a lot, I would say, uh, particularly compared to any form of motorsport that I've been involved in before this. Um, with the electric motor, it's such a flexible tool to be able to, to work with um, that it opens up opens up a heck of a lot of opportunities to, to tune in different ways. Um, the fact that you've got this regen state that you're driving in as well as on the brakes uh, means that the regen is purely managed by the electrical motor and so then your software can can work with that um the fact that we've got brake by wire um means that you know you can have your braking maps so that as you're turning with more lateral g's the braking bias can can change um so that you can have a different characteristic of of balance on on corner entry say compared to say off throttle when you're coasting through the corner um and so it's it's something it's a new tool that we've been learning to to play with in preseason. How much we're going to be able to develop in season um, before season six testing starts, I don't know because when you're at the race weekends, I'm anticipating it being a very short turnaround and just you know you're focusing on that one race weekend's performance, um, not so much system development. But uh, yeah, when season six testing opens up. Um, as much as all the teams will be looking ahead to season six, I think there will still be some things that you can transfer back into your season five software. So um, it'll be interesting to see what we can learn in the f- opening few races and then what we need to work on. How do you feel the, the the different power maps and that kind of thing? Like like in terms of in a traditional single season, let's say you're in an F3 car, to put it really simple, you know, I've got some understeer, let's put some front wing on. And you can presumably feel that difference. How 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 do you ask for changes in the engine mapping kind of situation, or and how do you feel the difference? And or, or do you like have to give a problem to the people at the laptop, and they do some things that they think will help? Do you know what I mean? Is it is it a different feeling for you? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly if the whole team, you know, if we all, if I portray the imbalance or feeling that I've got correctly and the, the engineers can work with it and come come back with a, a solution, then you feel on track. Um, I would say in terms of playing with regen maps, um, it's probably similar to changing like the, 
the the diff on entry in a conventional car in terms of having more or less preload and things like that obviously if you have a decent amount of regen going through the the rear axle then it changes the diff of how it's working compared to if you're just freewheeling um and that has as quite a big impact um and the pure brake bias um aspect of it obviously the the big big thing that everyone's working towards is trying to get that holy grail of you know the driver giving the right sort of feedback so that the engineers can quickly turn around a good solution um which inevitably is is difficult because the driver's talking about the feeling he's having in the car and then the engineer's got to as with all formulas all racing got to then translate that into numbers and yeah um, it's almost like it's a mechanical um, problem but not a mechanical solution anymore do you you see what i mean no not really not really it's a a dynamic problem yeah yeah it's all about dynamics isn't it um and it's been it's been fascinating to be honest. I'm still getting my head around it, um, but it's been fascinating Same. in this build up to, uh, uh, to to yeah work with engineers on things that I've not really worked on before. Because um, in as you say, you know Formula E, GT cars still to an extent, um, the development is very much you know the you get given the car and you you tweak it here and there. But in Formula E, it seems that there's there's really a, an open book of of software tools that we can work with and, and tune as we like just just on the software front so that is the only stuff that's actually open by regulations for development in the season so um sebastian but described as or as you know i asked him is it is it like uh, the equivalent of f1's aero development war like you bring something for each sort of new race and he agreed that it was he didn't state it outright as oh, you're asking leading questions <laughs> yeah but he, he was like yeah i completely agree you need to watch out for him during the season he'll try and trap you would you say this? Um, well, that's quite an <laughs> innocuous one. Oh, watch out. <laughs> well, we've, we've talked a fair bit about the cars, but also the sporting regulations, Alex, and big changes, the, the so-called Mario Kart rules coming in. Can you run us through the main changes in terms of the, the sporting side? Yeah, so the Mario Kart stuff that you're referring to there, Ed, that was originally, uh, it was sort of in, when it was first proposed, it was going to be called Hyperboost, uh, but it's now going to be known as Attack Mode. So it's still the same uh, format that we discussed back in the spring where um, the drivers have to go offline. They're going to have to run through three timing uh, sensors, timing loops in the ground. Uh, and to do that, that will get them, they'll be in the standard power mode of 200 kilowatts. Once they go through that, it goes up to 225 kilowatts. And um, it's mandatory to do that during the race. But what we don't know at this stage, because it's still up to the FIA to announce it, they're going to uh, determine how long the drivers will spend at 225 kilowatts uh, and how many times they'll be allowed to do it. So we're expecting it to be roughly eight minutes per race, or at least that's the sort of the last update I'd had. Um, so, so is this just kind of like a wide, go wider air yeah, so kind of thing? Yeah, so you slow down. Uh, so that's where the Mario Kart thing comes into. I know you're familiar with the with the red shells. Like I've said on the podcast before, I've never played Mario Kart, so I just sort of go, yes, that, that the, thing. The, the red what? shells what? home in on How the opponent. I don't know. I, I I never had the console that it played on. I don't even know what it no, was. No, I know, but I never had a. I never had a console that it played on, but you've played it. I've, ne- I've never played it. None of my mates have had it. I don't know. I just... You had a deprived Thank childhood. You, Jack and Ed. <laughs> but yes, <Wow>. clearly. <laughs> right, in my sad, embarrassing life, let's let's not get sidetracked because we could that we could be here all day. Yeah, with that. wow, that would be a podcast um, in itself, wouldn't it? Well, you heard about New York. But anyway, we won't go there. Now, um, yeah, so going offline, that is designed to, to, to slow the drivers down, but they'll then get the benefit of being in the faster mode. Um, but what I sort of picked up from Valencia, where this was trialled in a simulation race that you lost by about, a half a front wing to Lucas Degrassi. Is that right? So annoying. Yes. <laughs> Obviously meant nothing, but it also meant everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was my understanding that 
where the it was set up on the outside of a long left-hander early on in the, on, in the track and it, um some drivers were having trouble going through all three timing loops so potentially it might not be at a corner for every race it's going to be at different sections of the track at, at each race so maybe just to get make sure everyone can arm it you might be on a straight say but i i mean that's still to be determined at each round um so yeah so that's that's the attack mode um, the reason why the FIA is going to not tell everyone in advance, well, not long in advance, it might be a few hours before the race, uh, is so that the teams can't just simulate the exact best way to use it. I mean, I'm sure there might still be some of that going on. But is it? But is it true you can't simulate these races like at all now they're 45 minutes? Maybe not at all, but when you had a certain amount of laps, okay, add that up. We've got 100% of energy, divide that by 14 lap stint this is how much energy we need. But 45 minutes is a totally different... Because that's, game, it, that's it? the other change. It's 45 yeah. minutes plus one lap now as opposed to a set number of laps that it was in the previous seasons. Yeah, I think the... F- you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen in the race and as soon as there's a full court yellow or um, safety car or whatever, you don't know how long that's going to last. So you can't really plan for the total amount of laps that you, you're going to need, certainly at the start of the race anyway. Um, I'm sure some circuits will fall on this sort of magical total race time of being close to that 45 minute um point and so you could look at pushing harder to go faster to get over that 45 minute mark and then reduce the total race by by that one lap or you know take the cautious approach and um assume that you might cross the line at 44 minutes and 59 seconds and still have to complete two laps so it's going to be interesting um but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the attack mode, I think you can kind of get a feeling of what it's going to be. As I understand, it's going to be either probably like two blocks of four minutes or four blocks of two minutes um, or one block of eight minutes. I mean, there's only a fairly finite amount of outcomes and you can probably get a decent idea of what your general plan will be. But um... And how did, how did you find attack? Because I was, as a purist traditionalist, I wasn't super up for it i thought well okay the races are mixed up enough it's 45 minutes you're already doing the the first the 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 championship contenders go out first in qualifying anyway which is another new rule that you didn't mention because i had it we, on my, we it on my sheet it's right there, there in terrible handwriting yeah so the 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 <laughs> top five in the championship will always go first out in qualifying so they are going to apart from the first race because there's no but um so they'll always have a bit of a disadvantage there so it's always going to be a bit of a mixed up grit to me it was like fine leave it valencia quite apprehensive about it i thought it worked really cool there was a time where was it was it you were leading or antonio was leading someone was leading and they had to take their extra power so they went out wide it might have been luke it doesn't matter and they lost two places but they'd engaged their attack mode so they now were running at full power behind these two and were then chasing them and trying to over to i I thought it was cool, actually. How uh, how easy is a pass in attack mode on a normal Formula E circuit? Yet to find out, um, but <laughs> uh, depending, you know, um, looking at Riyadh, for example, you know, you've got some straights where the overtaking will happen, but then the attack mode in the the back mountain section, as as we might call it, is almost pointless um to have that extra power you're not going to really utilize it if you're sat behind someone you're just going to sit on their bumper and conserve energy rather than exploit that extra power um but then when you get on a straight it's certainly big enough difference to be able to 
decide to go for the overtake and pull up alongside them and try and pass them um you're obviously consuming more energy at that point and so you've got to you know weigh up the the pros and cons certainly getting track position will always be more beneficial than saving energy if you're if you're close to somebody as far as i understand anyway um but no it, it makes a big enough difference to be able to use it the issue i i found in valencia my first ever time in this sort of race simulation was when you're on the same power as the other person you have to throw them you know surprise them um by staying full throttle for the whole straight rather than doing your your coasting but there's not really enough time to completely overhaul them and make the pass straightforward whereas in attack mode if you do that it should be it should be more feasible i think to make the pass because i mean in valencia we had pretty long straights relative to some of the formula e tracks and so you're going to be able to need that attack mode i think sometimes to to make the pass i think it's going to work pretty well to be honest um now when that race was going on jack i don't know how much you can tell us about this but uh is it right that I the, don't know how much I can tell you about it either, but go on. <laughs> is it right that the TV stuff from Formula E, the offering this year, is going to be different? Yeah, so because well, of that mode and all we the will, we and will, and we will, uh, we will display. You'll be able to see when you're watching on the telly. You'll be able to see the attack mode, uh, sort of activation area. The Formula E have released a video on social media, so it's actually fairly similar to that. When we did it in Valencia. We we had a sort of uh, basic version of it, but essentially, the attack mode will be shown in a in a in a uh, kind of virtual reality style. So this is the attack mode zone, and then they drive through graphic. it, and yeah, superimposed right, yep. graphic. And the drivers go through that, and then on the tower on the left hand side where you have the race order, it'll ping up, and I think they turn. I don't know if they've decided on the color yet, so I won't commit to a color. But it turns a color, and then it has a running clock with how many, how long to go for this guy in attack mode, and how many attack modes he's used, and whether he's got any left, and that sort of thing. So yeah, so uh, it's quite cool actually. Again, I'm quite skeptical about all this stuff. I was super skeptical about Formula E, quite frankly, until season one Beijing, and then we had a good race, and it was like, oh okay, this is this is going to work. And so I sort of felt the same about attack mode, and I think it's going to be quite cool but yeah the amount of drivers who was it i was looking to turvey oliver turvey was saying that getting through those three um you know marks to actually activate it is not easy no i think in valencia it was slightly skewed in the sense that the attack loop were on a painted surface uh, okay, and so yeah. to to visually make them out was a little bit more difficult compared uh, to if they right, were on a, okay. on a tarmac so um yeah i would anticipate it not being a huge problem or as big a problem as we experienced in Valencia anyway. So, uh, yeah, we'll wait and see. But Formula E also reserving the right to make little tweaks to this just in case it doesn't work, which I think is fair enough. But they have assured me it's not going to be like the uh, Formula 1 elimination mode qualifying that was introduced and then Well, yeah, because it's not, it's not the stupidest idea in the history of the world, is it? So that's why it's not going to be the same. <laughs> the first second I heard about that, <laughs> I remember being in the press office at Barcelona and thinking, at testing, thinking, that doesn't make sense. This will happen, Anyone who'd thought about that would have done it. But no, this is a much, much sen- more sensible idea and it's it's good to create a bit more variety. What else is on your list, Alex? In terms of... Oh, uh, five drivers now have fan boost. So previously, previously it was three, now it's five. How's um, your Twitter following? Fairly poor compared to some of the other guys, <laughs> I think. I, this is your chance to beg for fan boost. Yeah, I honestly think we'd need 20 cars or yeah, more probably. Um 
to uh, have bamboos for me to have a chance. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, thankfully it's not going to have a huge impact on the overall result of the race. So um, it will when when the if if it's activated, it can only be activated when the drivers are in attack mode, and that will take the power up to two hundred and fifty kilowatts, so they'll be back up to full power. Um, but yeah, how useful that will be remains to be seen. Uh, we should also mention no car swaps. Absolutely, which is I, I, I mean. Which kind of you make, it sound, like, for you make it sound like we've forgotten to mention. Well, thing. well, it's all it, it's been planned for so long that it's almost taken for granted. But it, it's obviously a big deal. I mean, personally, I was never a big fan of the car swaps. I felt that when you're trying to push electric technology, and the main criticism people have it is of range. That's a slightly yeah. I mean, it's quite fun at times, but I didn't. I mean, the safety aspect was a bit concerning. But now, because of that previous four years, and this is what. Uh, they actually, I sort of agreed with you, but at the start of this, their argument was, yeah, but then when we go to one car, everyone would be like, wow, look at the progress they've made and look at that, you know, and and uh, and I think that's the situation we're in now where everyone's going, oh, now actually you can True. do it in only one car. The car's got more range and so it's sort of made Formula E look better with, with the improvements in electric That technology. is the official party line from Formula E. Oh, is it? Oh, Very right. Well, so. there yes, we well, go. Alejandro Agag mentioned it yesterday when I interviewed him. But it's certainly positive in terms of, I guess, well, from a driver's perspective, I presume, are you fairly happy about Did you ever practice a car swap? Once in Monaco when Robin damaged his ankle and there was a slight possibility that I might oh. be in instead of Robin. Um, he damaged his ankle doing a car swap? No, probably uh, sleeping. it was... <laughs> I can't remember exactly why, but no. Anyway, he he had raced before in Blanc the weekend before in Blanc Pan and been fine. So, um, it was out. Oh, he did his knee. Uh, he did his, his knee, knee was it? Uh, on remember. a treadmill. That's what it was. He did his knee on a treadmill on and a had treadmill, to miss a few yes, Blanc. Pan. I think yes. he had to miss Spa or something. But anyway, um, but anyway, no. I mean, it was it was fun enough. Um, slight, I guess, safety concern when you're driving out the garage um, and belts may or may not have been. Tightened one hundred percent. Adding a pit stop into it certainly adds a point of difference into the race um, and changes up strategy. But you know, nevertheless, I mean, it, I think it's certainly the right message to have one car for the whole race, um, and as a fundamental part of BMW coming into it. Um, and I think yeah, the image it gives is is far better. And it, and it does stop hurting the drivers, uh, well, occasionally, literally, a few of them suffer injuries. But obviously, the, the taller drivers struggle, just the, the laws of geometry. Man, if you're Jean-Eric Verne, you're going to be a little bit slower car swapping than if you're Sam Bird, for example. I guess you'd kind of be, I'm trying to remember what height you're, you're right, sat I mean, I know you're Antonio. Kind of, you're, you're, you're not, you're not, job, you're not you the know. shortest racing driver in the world. So No, no, no. I know, yeah. Antonio being a tiny little frame that he is, you know, can jump in and out of them extremely quickly. So, uh, yeah, no, it's better to have it that way I think what I would say is that I don't think pit stops will be gone from Formula E forever do you not think no I think going ahead to Gen 3 there might be pit stops back in terms of when's Gen 3 meant to be so officially it's in three years time but I'm led to believe and hopefully by the time this podcast comes out this will have already appeared on autosport.com right, check the website it's uh, thank you it's going to be uh, four years in four years time but the cars apparently will visually will change during that period. They'll do like an updated aero kit of the Gen 2 car. But the Gen 3 car will be in four seasons time. Okay, so in but four seasons time, pit stops might be back. Yeah, and it could, it could be, it could the, be the, the podcast. 
Yeah. <laughs> it could be as simple as uh, changing a battery or quick charging. Simple whatever as the... changing a battery. Quite complex. In four but, years, yeah. it'll be easy. It'll be, it'll be like... Yeah. Just changing a 12 You have to, you have to come into the pits. And it's like in a service station. You have to find a charging point. And there'll be three or four non-electric cars that are blocking the charging point. Yes, yes, and if yes, you yes, choose yes. the wrong time, you're just, you're just stuffed. You've got to sit there for two hours. Or the springs, are, or like they're spring-loaded, like in the back of the remote. So you have to put the battery in without it, like boinging across the room. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That'd be fun. I can see you've had many battles with remote controls in your time. <laughs> yeah, I'm over it. <laughs> the harrowing tales. <laughs> is, is there anything else on your list, Alex? Uh, in terms of the race rules and, and uh, the sporting stuff, I think that's pretty much it. Um, Good. So... Uh, well, Jack, you're going to be in your your capacity as a commentator. You're wanting exciting racing. I mean, does yeah. it does it feel like a a big step forward for Formula E with all the new cars, the the the, the new regulations, and as we'll get onto in a minute with the manufacturers coming in? So it's all kind of getting increasingly more big time, isn't it? It is getting big time, and that is exciting. I think the it, it's so good that it starts from a fundamental basis of the cars can follow and overtake you know that's just and then there are different thoughts about the amount of the length of the race it's quite an interesting discussion because some drivers reckon if you're flat out all the time then you'd have i remember talking to adam carroll about it and he was saying if you're flat out all the time there's no any um uh energy management at all then you'd get much better racing but others say well no because then you'd need to... It's the lift and coasting that, that creates the racing Va- and vari- creates the opportunity to overtake it. Variables yeah, yeah, yeah. creates racing exactly. and overtaking. And so I think that it's the lift and coasting that is exciting. And you and you're, in Formula you're starting from a fundamental point where the cars can follow and they can overtake. Like it might, as Alex was saying earlier, you have to weigh up whether it's worth the overtake. But if you're behind a car in front, you can overtake them. Like you just can, but it's whether it's worth it or not. And so I think to start from that point of view, the races are all going, the races all tend to be pretty entertaining and pretty fun. But I think it's the the rivalries that develop is the, is the thing that I enjoy the most. And I felt like last year, last year didn't quite work out into a, into quite, quite the championship battle you wanted it to be compared to Degrassi. Yeah, I, I was like, um, I don't know if I can say that. Is that slanderous? I don't know. Compared to Degrassi colliding with Buemi no, that, that, in that, London, that that is a that is a statement of fact. That's a that statement of fact. Okay, we're all agreed on that. Okay, fine. So yeah, compared to that, we didn't quite have that. Technically, it would be liable because we're broadcasting council's liable. Thank they you. Thank come. you very much. We had a media training course the other week. Oh, fresh in my mind. Do I? Should I get one of those? Maybe. Uh, probably. Um, yeah. So that that kind of rivalry didn't quite spark last year, but I think it will with the fact that it's you know, the manufacturers getting on board too. It all seemed quite good natured last year between Jeb yeah, and Sam. Which is fine. And because Sam's lovely and Jeb, but, but also you had that weird scenario of Tachita being an independent uh, team buying the Renault powertrain and DS Virgin, but they'd already, they were already going their separate ways towards it. So there almost wasn't much. They both wanted to win the championship. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't the Audi Renault loggerheads kind of thing either they were both kind of the almost well now virgin are the independent team so they were kind of the two independent teams that you kind of liked and you kind of wanted both to win and so yeah great who wins wins so i think we need some more angst this year well, over to you got, sims we've got i'm not say, gonna get that from me i'm <laughs> terrible no, there's for no, that there's no uh, what happens. there'll be no needle between bmw and audi 
Is there this what, year? Sorry? Will there be no needle between BMW and Audi? Uh, I don't know what the, the Germans are going to do, but um, I I have no issue with whoever I'm fighting. I'm not one to stir up interest. So I, I, I'm I think, very I think, dull in that respect. So uh, I think we need to create a rivalry for you. Which which driver, Jack, should we uh, should we pit against Alexander Sims as they can collide every time they? Meet on track. What's the most? Uh, what's the most? Um, what about? Turvey. Yeah, I was going to say Sims Turvey. Turvey. Two, two of the most polite drivers in yeah. motorsport. Can that develop into some sort of? I mean, uh, yeah. If you're getting all right, on, on all right at the awards. Together, coming right? together with Oliver, I'd get out and probably shake his hand and check he's okay. <laughs> you know, <I'd, laughs> I'm going to be very dull for you guys. Um, no, I mean it's. I'm, I'm a big believer in the, you know the racing hard, fair, out on track, but there's no major point in hating one another around the paddock. I mean, it just like, <laughs> makes life stressful and rubbish. So. Can, no, can, can, you, can you take a recording of this and then when there's a real rivalry emerges <laughs> yeah. and he's just hitting the table saying, he's an idiot, just play it back to him. Remember, please also, do. Hold me by those words. We also didn't see much, and I don't mean angst necessarily in terms of Verstappen Ocon, but more, you never really saw Vern and Bird even sort of battling each other for wins and that sort of you know it would either one win or the other would win you know they weren't even it never felt like they were even head to head at any point so I think that's more what I mean rather than just fighting I suppose the closest formula he got to Verstappen Ocon was Boemi in Montreal was it not it was a bit before my time but uh, uh, in the pit lane after the race with uh, oh yeah, dirty, storm, yeah dirty dirty man <laughs> storming down the pit lane so we want more of that, that more pit great. lane storming yeah. Take, make notes here Alexander what we need <laughs> yeah. to do yeah, yeah uh, that's something to look forward to well we should we should actually look a little bit more of the who are the favourites drivers one in testing it's been looking quite good for your team uh, Alexander Sims title uh, favourite in was it BMW I Andretti Motorsport? We should call it correctly, but it, uh, in all seriousness, yeah. it's, it's gone. It's gone well for for BMW Andretti, hasn't it? It has. I mean, for for what you can really take from a fast, relatively unrepresentative circuit like Valencia, um, lots of flat out sections. Yeah, I mean, it's, it really seems like BMW's um, produced a good car, but at this stage, it's and everyone will say the same thing because it's the way it is, is that that was pretty unrepresentative and it's only going to be in Riyadh in the, the following few rounds where we start to get a, a proper picture of where everyone's at. But um, You've no idea how many times I heard that in Valencia. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just the way it is. But it is, but it is literally true. You go to F1 pre-season testing and everyone that will say sell, that. that doesn't, and you can't, but you do can't know. Can't write a good news story from that, a good headline. No, I know, no. but you do know that Ferrari and Mercedes Think of the are poor journalists out the front and then Red Bull are a bit back. You okay, but your okay. Your job isn't just to oh, is is your job just to write up what people say, or is it to do some investigating yourself? It's a combination of both. And so, have you done any investigating into who was fastest in I have, Valencia, I have, and what is your conclusion? I have crunched the numbers. Thank you very much, Jack. So, Nichols. and you believe these numbers to be correct? I be, I believe the numbers. You to believe be correct. you could figure out the, from Valencia testing who's the quickest? Yes. Wow. At Valencia, though. At right? Valencia, wow. and it's the numbers. You can't argue with the numbers, whether they're correct. Is another matter. The numbers, the numbers well, are no, right. I can't, I can't deny <laughs> yeah. that you're You've saying written down numbers. Yes, yes, <laughs> that is a number. Yes, <laughs> the, 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 they're, they're, all, so they're all numbers. Whether they're whether they're interpreted correctly is another matter. Right. Well, anyway, let's hear your numbers. I have Neo as the top team based on really? average number. Now, what was really tricky was that no one did the same number of laps. So there's no direct comparison. The closest immediately a flaw in the numbers. Yeah, we'll, we'll ignore that. <laughs> so there's no direct comparison for this comparison, which we done. made, which we made clear in the magazine. Please go and buy the October 25th issue of Autosport magazine. Are you talking about 
single lap pace or race pace here? This is average long run pace. Okay, so this is so, this, yeah. this is your uh, so we remo- remove the outliers. Um, we did acknowledge where so like um, Mahindra only up there on an eleven lap run. Venturi 18 laps, HWA 15 laps. It was a lot shorter. But the guys that did a sort of more representative race run were Neo, Audi, uh, DS, and BMW in that order of pace, I'm afraid. Sorry. Oh, dear. Well, fine. Whatever, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's fitting very well in with the managing expectations that's being done very well here. So. But I think, say that, were to be correct, and that's how it will play out. And I know I'm setting myself up for a full here. So are you I? calling Dom t- Tom Dillman champion? That's your Potentially. No, what I think is if you guys can qualify at the front, I think we'll stay there. I think anyone who qualifies up the front has got a, a decent chance, yes. Um, track position is going to be key, certainly more than your outright race pace. Um, and staying there because, yeah, I think holding someone up is a lot easier than, than getting past someone. So, yeah. Good. Okay, well, that's dug me out of a hole. Well, should we put, put a few... Uh a few driver names to to places here. Obviously, we've mentioned BMW and Jetty, but Alexander Sims, of course, and Antonio Felix da Costa, who's a race winner in Formula E. So, you know, both both contenders. I'm going out on a limb here because I don't have any technology in front of me, but I don't think he's been on the podium since he won that race in season one. Correct. In yes. future Jai, did he win? Uh, it was Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires. That was the race where lots of suspensions failed. Yes. People hit walls and then they broke. Lots failed, just like randomly failed. Mm. Clipped walls. Mm. No, but uh, yeah, Chandok. Degrassi and Buemi, I think, all went at that final chicane. Yeah. And De Costa came. It was the, that was the only lap he led as well. He's led one lap in his Formula E career and he won the race. And <laughs> still the youngest stat. ever race winner in Formula E, because I think he was 23 then. Another good stat. You're full of useful stats. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you've got one of the drivers here, so it could be, it's always dangerous to talk about drivers, but obviously you've got one experienced driver, one rookie to, to Formula E there. So how do you see that working out? Um, Who will be BMW's spearhead? Antonio. Stop yeah. managing expectations. That's very hard to say. I feel like I want oh, to see a bit good. more yeah. from Antonio. That Maybe this is harsh. You've been within the team. Maybe. I don't know. But I don't know. I just I just feel like we, we used to see flashes of magic from him, which I feel like didn't maybe happen as much last year. And I know it's very difficult because the Andretti was... was um, not the best car out there and it was a sort of perennial midfielder maybe a little bit further back. last last in the team championship yeah so but i don't know i want a little bit of magic from Antonio. there were flashes of speed in qualifying from both him and um who's on side last year tom blomquist tom blomquist oh, i guess it changed didn't it and they bought sarah oh, yes. and kobe i was paying attention obviously kobe actually in hong yeah. kong of course um, but it didn't seem it never seemed to come together in the races I'm staying out of it. <laughs> I think Antonio is fantastic. I, I, I mean, I, I think Antonio Felix de Costa is a very, very good driver. He has, I, I haven't followed him in a championship I've covered in recent years, but he, he's looked a little bit streaky in recent times, my liking. But there is a real driver in there. And if he can find some consistency, it'd be interesting to see what happens. And uh, yeah, the other guy's not bad as well. He's uh, a good, intelligent driver. I reckon he'll uh, acquit himself well in the, in Formula E. Uh, well, you mentioned Neo, Tom Dillman, Oliver Turvey. Who are you getting excited about there, Alex? They're both really, really nice. So I want them both to do well. But I would say Turvey, I've consistently said, is uh, one of the most underrated drivers in Formula E. Well, Formula E did a video themselves last year asking, you know, who's got the best haircut and all of that. Uh, that would be me. <laughs> would it? Okay. Um, of drivers. Oh, sorry. And uh, and they asked, and everyone, some people were saying Daniel Lapt, and some people were saying Stefan Sarazan, I think, is a joke. And... Um, 
And then they asked who's the most underrated driver. Or, like every driver went, oh, Oliver Turvey. But if every driver thinks you're underrated, surely you cannot be underrated anymore. How yeah. long is someone underrated and all everyone says is he's underrated? Well, surely everyone rates him then. This is one of the most profound questions ever asked on an autosport podcast. What can I say? <laughs> but I, I do rate him and I think I think we at autosport rates him. Yeah. And uh, perhaps potentially, you know, it was, it's been the machinery that's been holding him back. What could he have done in a Renault, say, against Boemi or the Audi last year? And Dillman's, right had, some, Dillman's had some good performances in his sort of off and on Formula E career. So it'd be nice to see him get a full year. Is he fourth in New York? think this year he came back yep there was there was a fourth and yeah. it was very impressive yeah, yeah, yeah. so who would you sort of pick out as a, as a championship favorite alex who, if you had to pick one driver oh, no so caveats. i can't choose degrassi and boemi no that's two that's how maths works okay well in that but, case but what what you say there is those are the two perennial formula e front runners lucas degrassi and apt audi and then sebastian boemi and what's now nissan Edams, Edams, Vern and Bird are going to be furious that we've highlighted those two immediately. Um, but I think you have to say that the Audi ended last season as the best as the best package. It was all season; it just kept breaking and or incidents kept happening in the first couple of races. Uh, Degrassi wasn't off the podium from Punta del Este onwards, uh, and he's still he's still the team leader. He's still got it, you know, whatever it is. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd pick him. I mean, we mentioned. John Eric Vern, purely, purely because, so if I go back there, because Tatita has now got DS power. They've got to take a little bit of time to gel. I know they're very enjoying lots yeah, of resources. What power did Virgin have? Audi. But they were having trouble with setup in Valencia. Still getting used to a new customer supply ar- arrangement. So are you expecting technical cheater, as I like to call them, and Virgin? Technical cheater with John Eric Vern, Virgin with Sam Bird. Do you expect them to be on the kind of periphery of the championship fight? So this is this is what I've got in my hastily scrawled notes. I've got BMW, Audi, DS as the front runners, with the unknowns being Neo and Venturi just behind them. And Venturi, of course, with Felipe Massa. And so you, think, well, you think Venturi are going to be fifth? I'm sorry, you think Virgin are going to be like fifth and I've sixth got, um, in the championship with an Audi powertrain that's going to win the championship? I've that got, is, I'm, I've got are, them listed. That is that's harsh not, that's on not the an order. Virgin that's just a sort of That is harsh on the Virgin team and Sam Bird and Robin Franks. That's harsh. I guess one thing that is unknown is how much crossover there is for, as a customer team in yeah. terms of the software. Um, how much do they get from your Audi or you know anyone as a customer? I don't know how much how much you get. So that would be something I guess might be yeah. a fly in the ointment. If uh, I think there's a rule is there that you you've got to. The manufacturer has to supply the same software for round one or something yeah, like that, yeah, and then it's, it's free yeah. for them both to develop after that. And so, I don't know whether there would be some holding back of certain tricks to then exploit themselves as the main manufacturer after that. I don't know, but um, yeah, it'd be. They seem to be working well in Valencia. Alan Manish said he was very impressed with the sort of transfer of knowledge between the two of them there. And if I can rescue my reputation with the Virgin team, <laughs> too late. They did an excellent job last year, as you said. They knew that they were going to be sitting with DS, and it was sort of, you know, it was the the end was nigh, rather. But they kept Bird in the title fight. What happened to New York? Um, and yeah, you're right. I think he's joined with Vern to make it the big four in terms of Degrassi, Boemi, top sort of top four leading drivers. Uh, so yeah, fine. Let's not rule them out. Jack Nichols, you've done a very good job of eviscerating everything Alex has said. Yeah. Predictions. So we're going to yeah. put you on the spot. So who's who's the champion? The champion... You have the air of a man under pressure now. It's easy to take pot shots. 
Oh, I'm going Robin Freints. Oh, controversial. There we go. But a good quick driver. Yeah. I, sub- I know. It's, uh, I think Robin's magnificent. I think he's magnificent. I think Sam Bird is very good as well. I think that battle... There's so many inter-team battles, actually, that are just going to be mega this year. That one in particular. So that's a virgin. A Audi. virgin. Nissan, Oliver Rowland, and Sebastian Buemi. I'm quite excited by that because Buemi has not had a teammate for the first four seasons of Formula E in, in reality. Buemi won, I can't remember how many races, but he won a load of races, almost won a championship. And in that time, his teammate, who was Nico Prost, didn't finish on the podium. So like that, that was the difference of, you know, performance and results between them. So I think Buemi and Roland is going to be tough, but I think it's going to be tough for Roland coming in. So last minute after, because did he, did he do any testing in the end? Yeah, he, he turned the, up. He did the last day of testing he did in, do the last in the day, wet. In the wet. Okay. So that's going to be... He has raced before. He filled in for Nick Heidfeld in Punta del Este in season two. Um, but I think it'll be tough for Oliver to come in last minute. And But I, I think it'll be good for Buemi to have someone... Nissan had a tough time, didn't they, in testing? In testing, yeah. Well, I mean, the whole Alexander Albon going to Toro Rosso thing really sort of set things in motion in that they, they, had, they, had, they had half the amount of time because they only had to run one car for the first two days. Um, and they don't factor into my wonderful numbers. They're really? Down. So you, yeah. uh, oh, okay. Um, but what, what what I will say is that um, I spoke to Jean-Paul Drio, the team principal at Nissan Edams yesterday, and um, they're not, they're keeping expectations on the ground for Roland. They're not saying, they're not expecting him to go out and win the first race. It's just, you know, Albon did a lot of the development work in the early stages of the car. So he's missed out on all of that and he's sort of being parachuted in at the last minute. So they're saying, just turn up, learn everything, do the best you can. Very reasonable, very fair. We know Oliver Rowland's quick. He would have been runner-up to Charles Leclerc in Formula 2 in 2017. I covered that. Uh, he got disqualified from the feature race in Abu Dhabi that he had won on the road. So that's why he dropped a third down there. So yeah, very quick driver. Formula Renault 3.5 champion. He could push Boemi. Yeah, push yeah, him. yeah, I think so. I think so. And I'm not going to let our resident driver get away without making a prediction. So who will finish third in the championship behind yourself and <laughs> oh, your gosh, able support gosh. act, Antonio Felix da Costa? <laughs> Ah, uh, the grid is just mad when I look at it in terms of the the quality of drivers and teams. Um, like none, neither of us have mentioned Stoffel van Dorn I was gonna say, uh, I'm or gonna Felipe Massa I mean, well, or Pascal well, it's like Alexander, while you think of your answer there, I'm going to put Ed Straw on the spot. Oh, yeah. Now, you've been following Stoffel van Dorn all year. How do you think he'll get on in Formula E? He's a very good driver, Stoffel van Dorn. Um, didn't wasn't he labelled uh, F1's worst driver in inverted commas inverted commas very important uh, everyone, everyone missed um, those I mean in terms of Stoffel van Dorn obviously he's just coming off the back of a very difficult season in Formula 1 against Fernando Alonso whitewashed in qualifying the main problem there and it's most basic is the McLaren was quite an unstable car the rear end was quite unstable Alonso's very very good at driving around that and kind of provoking the car and hanging on so he's got incredible car control and he kind of managed to get the car to limit, whereas Stoffel just, just struggled a little bit. He was almost constrained by the limitations of the car. He's not the first driver to suffer that. And I think Stoffel van Dorner may be a more experienced Formula 1 driver. If he had five years under his belt, I think it might have been very different. He's, he's very, very good. He's an intelligent driver. And also, most importantly, is he's got he's got something to prove as well. He's got another chance here to be a professional driver in another high-level series. So there's going to be no one who's more determined to show that the 2018 Formula 1 season was an aberration for him. But inevitably, his preparation has been a little bit compromised by the fact that Formula 1 seasons are only just ended right at the end of November. And he's up against some very high-quality drivers, and he's in a new team. So it'll be interesting to see how he compares to teammate Gary Paffett at HWA. What are you expecting from Gary Paffett? Because obviously, I, I, he's like the 
pretty much my entire life watching motorsport he's been in dtm and i've i've been to like one dtm race i don't i don't really follow dtm a huge amount so how yeah what do you reckon he's a good intelligent driver and he's on uh he's on a little bit had a little bit of a resurgence recently so a good sign for him to to come into it but it i guess the the big challenge and alexander sims probably able to give us some perspective on this is just that challenge of coming in as a newcomer against these drivers who've got a wealth of experience yes you're cancelling out some of that by the fact it's a new car but I mean, when you look at these guys who've been there since the beginning, who've got forty-five races of experience, how how big a gap is that? To, is that to catch up? Um, very very difficult to quantify, to be honest. Um, what what is it that you that you are learning? Like, I know the answer is going to be everything. Is it the regeneration? Is it the energy saving? Or is it fundamentally how to drive this car because it's so different to a sort of normal? Yeah, I, I would car. say the the biggest thing I feel anyway that I'm missing is just a gut feeling on how the race is going to pan out and be able to drive yeah on that gut feeling rather than at the moment you know I'm having to drive purely on on sort of data on numbers and try and match things whereas someone who's got more experience I would anticipate being able to you know they'll, they'll be able to just go with the flow of the race a bit right. more and and judge those instances of yeah sorry I can use an extra 0.2 0.3 kilowatt hours on this lap to make this overtake or be smart enough to to give up a bit of lap time because they think it'll come to them later in the race or whatever but um I think certainly having some endurance racing experience helps with that um to to look at the overall picture but uh you don't know what you don't know and yeah. so it's very difficult to to know at this stage but um I think the fundamentals of driving are still very much the same as any other formula. You know, if you can drive a race car quickly, then this Formula E car in qualifying is pretty much the same as other race cars in terms of you finding the limit of the tyre. It obviously has very different characteristics, very little aero. Um, the braking will have to be very different in terms of how you brake and apply that brake pressure. But, you know, it's still... A race car but this is what it brings us nicely back to that 45 minutes plus one lap thing because someone could have done an excellent job of energy saving or not have done such a good job and then something totally random happens and it will just mix up the order and that's why and it, it always happens in formerly something totally random always happens what's the most random thing you've seen in 45 races uh the cat running across the track was was a bit random in beijing season Two, I think, or three. So but during, that, during the race? Uh, yeah, during the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Is it all right? I like cats. Yeah, yeah, no, it made it across. Excellent. It made it across. Um, I quite like the race that was refusing to start. Was that the start of last season? Oh, at Hong Kong? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> nightmares about that. Yeah, the start lights didn't work, did they? So I think they... And they and they can't... I, F, these days, I think, in the FIA, and I think it, I presume it would be the same in Formula 1, I think if the start lights don't work, you can't just... Like, you're at the... BARC, just right, we'll do it with the flag then. Like, you just can't, so you have to start it behind the safety car, which is, but anyway, I didn't enjoy that one. There's just been some random, there's races where you just go, I don't know what happened. Buenos Aires is a good one, actually, season one, when Antonio uh, Felix da Costa won, because it's just it all just kicked off, really. It all just kicked off. That's the, you should think, expect the unexpected, isn't it? But that, the one thing about that, the point you make about the 45 minute races, I presume from a strategic point of view, perhaps Alexander, you're the best for comment on this it would make sense to me to the last thing you want to do is go really aggressive early on on the assumption that it might be a a few laps short or whatever you, you'd want to kind of save your attack modes and that kind of thing to at least until the race has settled down i know 
you might get race situations where you need track position or whatever, or you may have some clear air, you want to catch up because of the, a problem. But generally, it seems to make sense to kind of backload the race, as it were, in terms of the energy you've got. Yeah, I, th- I think from an energy point of view, you've got to, you know, because um, if you misjudge it, you're likely to lose like 15 seconds on the last lap, 20 seconds more probably to, if you're if you're a lap out, you know, and you've only got one lap to recover that extra lap and you've got to halve your energy consumption, it's going to be catastrophic. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, from an energy point of view, you're going to have to err on the side of caution. But um, how the attack modes... Uh, attack loop usage rather is going to work out I don't know um, you know it's going to make more sense to use it when the, the pack is together so that you can gain more positions by going aggressive um, but if everyone uses it at the same time then it's null and void and so you're going to have to you know judge it as it, as it happens in the race so that's uh, how, how late can you decide to do because you have to you have to arm it first don't you yes. so you can't be sort of half just going into the corner and then quickly take it and follow the guy in front? Like, how quick is the uh, arming no, you, process? No, you can pretty much. You, the thing okay. is, you can't arm it more than, I think, five seconds before you enter the attack loop. So you've got okay. to do it in that last window. Oh, okay. Um, so so are we going to see, do you think, kind of like uh, in F1, when you get the message, do the opposite of the guy in front, basically? Are you anticipating that to be a strategy? So if you're going to go for attack mode and then suddenly the guy in front does it, then it's pointless you doing it as well a sort of last minute decision not to or quite, we yeah, just quite feasibly I mean uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know at this stage um, and I guess it's you know it's new to everyone and so we're all going to be finding out how it works and, and how's best to use it um, but no I certainly anticipate there being some some bad calls uh, and using it slightly wrongly uh, in terms of its its full potential the fact that you've got to use it I'm still unsure quite the ramifications of what happens if you're you know you're under safety car and it's looking like you're getting towards the end of the race and you've got to use it under safety car and then you know those who get lucky and the safety car then comes in and you've got attack mode ready to deploy for the last few laps um whilst you're in that pack you know you could see people sailing past and and really benefiting hugely from it um rather than someone who uses it when the, when the field's all spread out. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating, particularly because after a safety car, you've reduced your energy consumption for the safety car laps, so you'll yeah. be able to utilise attack mode flat More, out yeah. and, and the difference be bigger. Um, yeah, it'll be fascinating. It's going to be a commentator's nightmare. That's just working with Dario. The, um, <laughs> the, uh, the other thing with the strategy is is it also depends where you start. You know, We're all sort of talking about this kind of imagining i suppose the sort of top five in our head all doing these things but if you're down at the back of the grid you're not going to be saving up all your energy for the like you know you you might want to be more aggressive with it it's the things like so i found out in paris last year if uh, i think it was venturi teams if they're at the back of the grid on the back row they'll like barely start the race the lights go out and they'll just like crawl forward like a tiny bit everyone else goes down into turn one. Don't know what that noise was. Down tires, into tires locking up. That's what it was. Yep, yep. Uh, down into turn one, and then blah blah blah, blah and then at some point there'll be a hairpin halfway around the lap where everyone basically comes to a standstill. So you just crawl round, and then you're at the back mm. of the pack. Anyway, it's genius. Mm. But only some teams did that. Like yeah. other teams, I said it. I think it was someone told it to me, and I and one time I think it was Jaguar on the back row, and I was like, "Oh, are you going to do that thing with it?" 
what thing more what do you mean and I, like, okay. uh, I know Dan Brojo did it in Rome very effectively because he went from last to the points mm. I'm fairly certain Vern did it in New York when he was oh, did he? because he, they got thrown out of qualifying so it was just like right just, we know it's gonna in um, yeah in the first race when he won the title there was a software glitch so they got sent oh, to the back, yeah. both cars yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there we go well, it shows there's lots of variables to uh, to keep everyone on their toes. I mean, we should mention some of the newcomers in a bit more detail. Obviously, star newcomer Alexander Sims. But other than that, <coughs> Felipe Massa, we've mentioned in passing. Pascal Verlein, Stoffel van Dorn. So there's three drivers with F1 experience. There's also other decent drivers coming in. Gary Paffett coming from DTM. Maxi Gunter, who's had success in, in F3. So... The, the standard of drivers continues to continues to rise. I mean, I guess Felipe Massa we should talk about. He he is is a driver who's almost been Formula One world champion, a Grand Prix winner, long career at that level. So you'd say he's probably a positive addition to the championship. But how's he going to get on with? He's Venturi? certainly got the biggest profile of any Formula E driver, you'd say, coming from Formula One. No offense. Obviously, um, um, I've got a nice Felipe Massa anecdote in that I watched the very first laps out of the pits at Valencia, and they had that incredibly tight chicane. Which I'm sure I don't, uh, what were your, were your previous experience of Formula E chicanes, but everyone else was saying that is not like Formula E chicane. It was so tight. The drive, you guys were actually having to go off track with two wheels just to get round it at the exit to the point where the grass was completely worn away by the end of the week. I'm sure the rain didn't help. Um, first time through, Massa absolutely clattered the curves like it was you it, you it was really loud i've no idea how to how he's gonna go no i I've think no i idea. think venturi could be a bit of a dark horse i've heard good things yeah not gonna point to my times because they got laughed at before where, are, where about, are they on your long run times just as a reminder fifth okay because i think mortara is like a pretty good at street circuits and he had real flashes last year hong kong he was superb never quite hit those heights again no that is true and he struggled with that um and he's won macau load two three times in f3 but but in gts he's won it as well hasn't he loads of times so that's going to be a yeah so that's going to be a tough one for massa but i think massa i don't know i just wonder i'm reassessing massa a little bit because in f1 i was like okay Yes, you're beating Lance Stroll, but, you know, let's move. And then Sorokin coming in, who I thought was a fairly, and think is a, you know, a solid driver, not GP2 champion or anything, because he wasn't, but, you know, good. And then he sort of matched Stroll. And then you go, okay, maybe Felipe wasn't as, you know, bad as I thought. You know what I mean? He's he's a decent driver, Master, and he's going to be a little bit erratic. Yeah. Certainly saw that in Formula One, but when things are right, he can be a very, very, very quick driver. So it'll, it'll just be down to, I imagine he'll approach it very, very, professionally you won't just think oh i've won grand prix therefore i'll win in this and we have seen drivers in the past move into other categories and think it'll be easy and they don't really have to try but the level the levels are too high with with you know every championship is full of specialist very very good drivers who in an alternative world would have been in formula one so you know you you can't just expect to think that'll help you i mean he can't go any worse than chat villeneuve's time at vinciri which is what three races yeah and then he crashed out of qualifying in punta del este and couldn't race never came back yeah, Jack Villeneuve has uh, some difficult times. So we, we've ended Massa <laughs> on a on a downbeat note there, but I'm sure it won't. No, I'm excited. Like it's that. cool. It's cool that he's there. I've no idea if he's going to be great or get like destroyed by Edo because Edo's great. It's really interesting. It looked like he did a pretty decent job in testing, from what I saw. So, yeah, from my point of view, it looks like he's going to be right in there. 
Pascal Verlein and at Mahindra. He won't do the first round. He will won't he? do. Yeah, there's some sort of confusing contractual thing going on with Mercedes and HWA, and that he's not being released from it until the 31st of December, which obviously means he can't do Riyadh. So they've got uh, Felix Rosenquist back for one final blast. Yeah, uh, but I mean, Verlein's a quick driver. Obviously, kind of he's, he's real, rebuilt his career after uh, after missing out on Formula One. He's been dropped by Mercedes as of, of the end of the year as a, as a junior driver. But again, a quick driver. I mean, there, there were some questions in Formula One about his approach. I think some of them were overstated, but I think probably he'll have learned from that and will approach this in quite a constructive way. And he's going to have to, again, for the same reasons we mentioned for Massa. You can't just say, I've done a few seasons in Formula One, therefore well, I'm going I, to crack it. I say this purely because of a story that we ran on autosport.com and motorsport.com, which is, you know, just we sort of we have to take what we can from that, in that it was suggested that Mercedes wanted him to commit to HWA for two years or possibly more. He didn't want to because, of course, Ulrich Fritz said that he's focused on getting back to F1. So do we know how committed he's going to be? But then again, if he shines, if he is committed and he does, that you could finally see someone going the other way, going from Formula E to Formula 1. I think if you've got half an eye on anything else then it becomes dangerous. If you see it as just kind of a thing to tide you over or just to, so that's where it becomes dangerous. You know, you, you succeed by doing the best possible job in, in Formula E. So that, that's probably going to, what just defines how well he, how well he does. Sitting against a decent teammate, Jerome Ambrosio, who's, who's moved over there, a, you know, a, a good Formula E performer. I'd have taken Verlines Williams if it was me. I know this is F1 chat, but like, and I know that Kubica brings a load of cash, but he was in the frame, wasn't he, for the for the Williams seat, I believe, Verline. Um, and he's he was a sort of name on a list, as it were. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But have, I, to me, like there. he's a he's a good driver for that kind of team alongside George Russell. I think would have been really good. So that's you know. So I think he's very good, and I'm excited to see what he does. I think overall, it's it's good to see Formula E continuing to attract all these drivers. And I mean, I know. It's a series that pays professionally, so any series that does that is going to be appealing. But it's become sort of a, a championship that's been a seems to be a real destination. Obviously, from your perspective, Alexander Sims, you have come in through your BMW ties, but this has been a championship you've presumably yeah, wanted to get into for quite a while. Been dreaming of being a part of a championship well, of Formula E um, for for many years. Honestly, didn't anticipate being here, um, particularly here in season five with you know, all these other. Fantastic names on the grid, um, but uh, I think it's it's one of the biggest championships in the world, quite frankly. Um, outside of Formula One, it's up there with IndyCar, DTM, and now Formula E. You know, not now as in this season, but you know, it's been building year on year. I think to to be right up there. Max Gunther at Dragon, alongside Jose Maria Lopez. Thoughts? Right, Gunther. Yeah, yeah. Formula Two race winner was was uh, sort of hasn't shone as much as we were expecting him to after what he did in F three. Yeah, very quick. A, a quick driver in Formula Three as well. No, there's no, there's no one on that entry list who you look at and think they're not at least very, very good accomplished racing drivers who've, who've achieved. There's, there's no one who hasn't achieved in other categories ultimately, which is always a good sign. Yeah, that's absolutely true, actually, isn't it? I'm just, I'm just looking down them. That's why I went quiet, which isn't great podcast action. You but... look like you're about to make a profound statement. No, I think. Uh... Over the last couple of years, you, in Formula E, there's only ever really been like one or two drivers at any one time on the grid where you go, uh, I'm not quite... And, and now there's none, I would say, which is great. Really cool. Particularly because of the improvements Daniel Lapp's made last season, because there's always been the question mark there. Yeah, when but, the, but, but, but he won GP3. Or, yeah. or, no, he didn't win it, did he? He lost out to yeah. Antonio. So, like, that's fine. That's a, that's a good effort. 
No, I think we'll agree with that. Certainly better than I did anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do. Have, have you decided who's going to finish third in the championship behind you and Antonio yet? Going to press you for a name. You can claim you're under duress, but we're, we're not going to let you leave the room until you've uh, thrown a name in. Yeah, I don't know. I'll think, keep thinking. Just say Rosenquist. Uh, gone after one yeah. race. That was your out. <laughs> but I mean, it is a legitimate point. There's there's a number of teams that you can you can point to there and drive. I haven't even mentioned a team like Jaguar, former champion Nelson PK Junior and Mitch Evans. Where, where, where are Jaguar, at, Alex? In my numbers, in your numbers, famous yeah. numbers, uh, eighth, eighth out of eleven. Okay, so they, but they did. They were very reliable straight on it from the word go. They were doing like long run after long run after long run. But on those numbers, I mean, I remember driving and PK would be fighting tooth and nail to stay within the white lines on every single lap. Oh, really? Where everyone else is just, you know, maximizing it was re- the it was full ridiculous. track usage, <laughs> which makes it even more unrepresentative to, to race circuits um, that we're going to go to. So, yeah, they might be a bit more of a dark horse than you, even your numbers suggest, I would think. Would you say Alex's long run numbers are at least sort of ballpark? Obviously, you've got a lot more data than Alex benefits from. Do you, do you guys it's try and you, guess? You will, you will know what the, the long run pace is from team to team. I know. Well, pe- with people all the caveats. within our team will. Honestly, it's not something I've put any thought towards because wherever we're at makes no difference. You know, it doesn't mean that we can suddenly go faster or slower, um, or faster or take it easy if we know that. Um, we're ahead or behind the pack. I've no idea. We just do our best job um, when it gets to Riyadh and, and we'll focus on our own performance. So. And that attitude is exactly why you're a good racing driver, focusing on on what matters rather than the irrelevance. <sighs> yeah, <just laughs> make sure you break, turn and get on the <laughs> throttle and uh, do it as best as you can each time, yeah. Yeah, that's very, very good advice. You can remember you said that, uh, Jack, just in case something goes wrong at the first call yeah, okay. in, in Riyadh. <laughs> Well, we've probably uh, we've probably talked enough, and we'll, we'll let Alexander Sims get away without nominating his uh, his, his nearest challenger. Certainly, except that it's a it's a, a difficult uh, difficult challenge. Well, uh, well, all three of my guests will obviously be in Riyadh in various capacities. Uh, so, if you head to autosport.com, you'll be able to read Alex Kalanorkas' excellent coverage of the uh, of the race weekend, and also our plus subscriber area, all sorts of uh, in depth features from the world's best motorsport journalists. And I'm sure there'll be a Formula E season preview there. There'll also be one in Autosport Mag. Yeah, the Autosport Mag uh, preview feature will be out uh, out today, the day this uh, podcast is released. Please check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly, and Motorsport News. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.